Today is Thursday, March 18th. The title for our devotional is Interrupted Solitude. This week, we've been looking at Jesus' regular practice of solitude. Today, we'll see three more times in the Gospels that Jesus seeks out solitude. We won't talk about the Garden of Gethsemane here, which is another case. We're going to give that a full week's treatment later in this campaign. We're going to focus on a story in Mark chapter 6 which effectively captures Jesus' practice of solitude and how he sought to teach it to his disciples. This story here takes place immediately after he sends them out, his disciples, that is, to do ministry on their own. They return super excited at what they saw happen and the effectiveness of their ministry. It's interrupted in Mark's gospel with an account of John the Baptist's beheading. Uh, Verse 30, however, here seems to pick up right where it left off in verse 13. So, here it is, Mark 6, beginning in verse 30. We're going to read through verse 46. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go out ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. I just love the realism of this story that we see even within the miraculous, supernatural feeding of the 5,000. Here we see Jesus leading his disciples to a solitary place to find rest after a long, successful ministry effort. Yet, because of his popularity, their solitary place quickly becomes crowded again. Clearly in need of rest, Jesus' response to the interruption is even more amazing. Instead of being agitated and angry with the interruption, he has compassion on the crowd. This is a sign of a deeply formed life. At a moment when most would react with anger, Jesus reacts with compassion. 
After this event, John's Gospel says that the people were likely to take him by force and make him king after witnessing the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus, however, instead of engaging to try to dissuade the the crowd or worse, take them up on their offer, he withdraws to the mountain for solitude. In the very next scene, Jesus walks out on the water to the disciples in a boat. Then, when he reaches the other side, the crowds follow him, seeking another free lunch. Jesus, however, teaches a rather hard lesson. He claims to be the bread of life. Most of the crowd deserts him, and only the twelve are left. So it seems as if Jesus relied heavily on his quiet moments with God in solitude in order to weather the up-and-down nature of his ministry life. In a few short hours, Jesus went from potentially being king which must have been a huge temptation for him to accept, to a leader of only 12 misfit dudes. At critical moments in his ministry, Jesus is said to withdraw by himself for time and prayer. Without the confidence of who he is and the nature of his mission from God, these drastic fluctuations would have been moments of crisis in his life. But they weren't. And it seems that this is largely due to his regular practice of solitude and prayer. Now, I didn't mention these other verses, but I included them in the devotional in an honorable mention section. Other, other verses that indicate Jesus' regular rhythm of solitude and prayer. Mark 1.35 says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 6.12 One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So it seems as if the gospel writers make clear this was a regular practice in Jesus' life. For additional content today, I'm going to read another portion of John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yesterday, we read some of the signs and symptoms of a life lived without the practice of solitude, silence, and prayer. Today, we're going to read the flip side, what it looks like when we're living a life practicing solitude and prayer. He says this, We find our quiet places, a park down the street, a reading nook at home, a morning routine that begins before the little ones are awake, and we come away. We take our time. Maybe it's not a full hour, but we're there long enough to decompress from all the noise and traffic and stress and non-stop stimulation of modern society. Sometimes all we need is a few minutes. Other times an hour isn't enough. Other times we gratefully take what time we can get. We slow down, breathe, come back to the present. We start to feel. At first we feel the whole gamut of human emotions, not just joy and gratitude and celebration and restfulness, but also sadness and doubt and anger and anxiety. Usually I feel all the lousy emotions first, he says. That's just how it goes. We face the good, the bad, and the ugly in our own hearts. Our worry, our depression, our hope, our desire for God, our lack of desire for God, our sense of God's presence, our sense of his absence, our fantasies, our realities, all the lies we believe, the truth we come home to, 
our motivations, our addictions, the coping mechanisms we reach, we reach for just to make it through the week. All this is exposed and painfully so. But rather than leaking out on those we love most, it's exposed in the safe place of the Father's love and voice. In our ears, we sense his voice cut through the cacophony of all other voices, which slowly fade to the deafening roar of silence. In that silence, we hear God speak his love over us, speak our identities and callings into being. We get his perspective on life and our humble, good places in it. He goes on, and we come to a place of freedom. Our failures slowly lose their power over us, as do our successes. We get out from under the tyranny of other people's opinions, their disapproval or approval of us, free to just be us, the mixed bag we are, nothing more than children with our Father, adopted into love, free to be in process yet to arrive, and that's okay. In silence and solitude, our souls finally come home. That's what Jesus meant by abide, the verb of abode or home, the place of rest. We come back to our places of soul rest, to what Thomas Kelly called the unhurried center of peace and power. He goes on, as I see it, we have two options. Options A, we neglect this practice, make excuses, get sucked into the rat race and face emotional unhealth at best and spiritual oblivion at worst. Or B, we recapture this ancient yet timely practice and experience the life of Jesus. For reflection time today, when your life gets busy, what do you tend to look to for rest and relaxation? Is solitude and prayer a part of that rhythm? Very often we say we are too busy to find solitude and pray. It seems as if the life of Jesus indicates we are too busy to not seek solitude and prayer. If life seems busy for you now, commit to using some of your R&R time for solitude and prayer. Then compare the life this gives to your soul with the other activities you tend to run to for rest.